Well, we are in the second week of our two-week refresher of our Every Knee initiative. Uh, Many of you know we began this initiative last year about this same time. And so we wanted to take a couple of weeks and just remind all of us where we are and give a little bit of information about where we are. So I hope you were here last week. If you missed last week, you can go online. And we had a lot of great information about the progress of our Creekside facility. As Dusty mentioned, you can see uh, some renderings out in the hallway this morning if you're interested in seeing conceptually what it'll look like. But also the progress of where our church is headed in terms of moving into Bryan, in terms of continuing to, uh, to press forward with the, the mission of the gospel, not only here in Bryan College Station, but all around the world. Uh, this morning when you came in, again at your seats, uh, there is one of the commitment cards. Uh, along the aisles, we also had some of the Every Knee books. I think you might have handed those down earlier. If for any reason you didn't get uh, one of those books or cards last week or you lost it last week, you can grab another one. There are some at the back of the room. Hang on to the cards that maybe you took the card last week and you you prayed about it and thought about uh, where the Lord might be leading you. Uh, Toward the end of the service, we're going to have an opportunity, uh, especially for those of you who fit into one of two categories. First of all, if you were not here last year, when we began the Every Knee Initiative and you say, you know what, I really would like to participate in some way in this initiative in contributing toward the mission of the gospel through Grace Bible Church. If that's you, uh, then fill out that card this morning. You'll have a chance at the end of the service to hand it in. The second group in here, maybe you did participate last year and you wrote down a commitment amount And over the course of the last year, you've looked and you go, I need to adjust that amount. Perhaps the Lord uh, has blessed you financially in some way and you want to increase that commitment in some way. So fill it out again and you can, or a new one, I should say, and you can hand that in at the end. If your commitment is the same, if you say, you know what, I made a commitment last year and I'm going to stick with that. That's fantastic. First of all, we're praying and hoping that you will. You can turn in another card just to recommit to yourself and remind yourself where you are. You don't have to turn in another card. If you don't turn in another card, we will assume that you're sticking with that same commitment level that you made last year. So so that's kind of where we are in terms of the cards this morning. I wanted to spend a little bit of time this morning talking about the subject of generosity. And I thought I would start by sharing with you an article that I read uh, earlier in the year. This uh, is from a study that was done at the University of Virginia last fall. Here's what they did in this study. They wanted to study people's giving habits and what would affect uh, how much money people gave toward a charitable cause. So what they did was at a local children's museum, uh, they, they took that donation box, which you've seen. If you've been to a, a children's museum or anything like that, there's usually a box when you walk in that says, would you contribute some money to help improve our children's museum, to help keep it running? And what they did is they, they wanted to see what was the effect of placing different types of photographs next to or above that box, right? So they put everything from just a picture of a chair next to the donation box to, to pictures of parts of people's faces, like an ear or a nose or all kinds of things. And, and here's what they found, that the most effective picture, the photo that caused people to give the most money when they walked by the box was this one. Uh, it's a picture, if you can't see that, of somebody's eyes. And uh, the headline of the article is, people are more generous when they feel like they're being watched. 
donations increased by 75% over other pictures when they just put the eyes. Now, what makes me laugh about this is that's not even a real person, right? Nobody's actually watching you, but just something psychological about the feeling that, ooh, I am being watched as I walk by this box. Maybe I better drop some more money in the box because they see me cause people to give more money. Now, I found that uh, amusing, and I'm sure that that's true of all of us. The good news for you this morning is there are no cameras in our offering plates. Uh, There are no cameras watching what you're writing down on your commitment card. Uh, I will never know how much you give to Grace Bible Church. Most of the church staff will never know. There is a very, 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 very small subset of our staff, the people who actually process your gifts, that have to know how much somebody gives. And even they probably don't remember. Nobody's ever going to come to you and say, I think you personally could be giving more than the X amount of dollars you're giving because we don't know, right? And I think that's a great thing because nowhere in the Scripture Do we see it written that we should give because we want to be approved of by other people? Right? In fact, the scripture discourages us giving for that reason. Nowhere in the scripture does it say you need to give more because your pastor will like you better. It doesn't say that. But what we do see in the scripture are a lot of other reasons why generosity with what God has given to us is beneficial, not only for the church as a whole, but also for us in our walk with Jesus Christ. Right? In fact, what we really see in the Scripture is that we give not primarily because the church budget needs our money, but we give because we need the exercise of trusting in God with everything that He has given us. When we give, there are certain things we're acknowledging about God and about ourselves that are important. If you remember last week, we talked about how after Jesus died and then rose from the dead, before he ascended into heaven, he met with his disciples and he gave them a task. He said, I want you to take this message that eternal life has been granted to everyone who believes in me. I want you to take that message all around the world. And he says, I want you to start in Jerusalem and then move to Judea and then Samaria and then outward to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus said, first of all, what I want you to do, you just wait in Jerusalem for a few weeks and the Spirit of God is going to come upon and amongst the church. And when the Spirit comes, He's going to give you power to go out from here and share the gospel. So that's what the disciples did. They waited for 40 days after the ascension of Jesus Christ. And on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, you'll remember this from Acts chapter 2, thousands of Jews from all around the Roman world came to worship God in Jerusalem. And as they were gathered together, the Spirit of God fell upon all the people. They begin speaking in different languages and in different tongues. And Peter gets up and he says, hey, this is the promised Holy Spirit. And he says, the Spirit has come because Jesus now died. Jesus rose again. He's paved the way for us to know God. And I want you to know, anybody who believes in Jesus Christ can have eternal life. And here's what happens is the church suddenly grows from maybe a couple hundred people to thousands of people overnight. And their lives were radically and permanently changed. If you've got a Bible, I want to read for just a moment from Acts chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 42. 
This is after the day of Pentecost, after thousands of people have trusted in Jesus Christ. And it says they, that is the early Christians, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So what you see is that after the ascension of Jesus Christ, after the Spirit comes, these people who trust in Jesus, their lives are dramatically and radically changed. And what they begin to do is they gather together for worship. And and also what they start to do is they look at what they have. And they say, "My, my life belongs to Jesus. That means my time belongs to Jesus. My reputation belongs to Jesus. And then part of what they realize is all my stuff, all my money, all my stuff, everything I own belongs to Jesus. And so they begin giving to one another out of what they have. And as you move forward through the book of Acts, you also see they begin giving toward the spread of the gospel. Okay, now what we see in Acts chapter 2, I do want to make this this caveat that this was kind of a one-time situation, right? So you don't always see throughout the New Testament every Christian selling all their stuff and giving away all the money to other people. Obviously, if they continued that, eventually no one would have any money or any stuff to give away. Right, Because right here what you have is you have this dramatic explosion of the church. Thousands of people come to trust in Jesus. And a lot of them are from out of town, so to speak. Right, They don't live in Jerusalem. But they need to be trained. They need to be discipled. They need to learn more about Jesus. And so they stay in Jerusalem for a period of time so they can hear more about Jesus, so that they can be equipped to go out and share the gospel. And so while they're there, the church, those who have trusted Jesus in Jerusalem, they say in order to support them, they can live in our homes. They can eat our food. We can use our money to train men and women to go out and share Jesus Christ, right? So the specifics of the situation may not be the same today, but the principle that is the same is that when we know Jesus Christ, we are called to a life of radical generosity. That is when we know Jesus Christ, we are called to take a posture toward God that says everything I have belongs to him. Because as James would say, every good and perfect gift comes from above, comes from the Father. It it doesn't belong ultimately to me because it didn't originate from me. Everything I have from my body to my career to my reputation to my money to my stuff, all of it belongs to God. And so I'm called to a life of radical generosity. What we want to do this morning then is look at this question. Why does the scripture call us to lives of radical generosity? What are the whys behind it? And then how can we move forward in light of that reality? So let me give you four reasons this morning that the scripture says we're called to lives of radical generosity. The first one is this, because generosity honors God. Generosity is a means of worship. Now, if you were here last year, you'll remember we spoke a bit from Exodus chapter 35 and 36 
And one of the points that I made was that in the Old Testament, when the people of God, when the Jews, when they thought about worship, they didn't primarily think about singing, although they did sing. They didn't primarily think about going to church and hearing somebody talk about the Bible, although they might have gone to a synagogue and heard somebody talk about the Bible. But when they thought about worship, interestingly, the primary way that they worshiped was through giving. Because what they would do is they would bring an animal from their livestock or their crops or their money and resources. They would bring those things to the tabernacle or later to the temple. And by offering what they had to God, that was how they worshiped. You may remember Exodus 35 and 36 tells the story of the building of the tabernacle when the people were in the wilderness and God gave them instructions for building the tabernacle. And then those who are building the tabernacle, they say, hey, we need, we need resources to build it, right? We need gold and silver. We need the materials for the tent in order to build it. And so what you see is this scene in Exodus chapter 35 and 36. It says, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done in the tabernacle, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. They still kept bringing him freewill offerings every morning. So that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. Why'd they give that much? Because they, they loved God. Right, and that was the fundamental issue. Building the tabernacle represented to them a way they could worship God. The, the, the most significant issue itself, even as you, as you read through the Scripture, the most significant issue was never the building of the tabernacle or the temple itself. It was what happened inside that people came to honor God. And they said, everything that we have belongs to God. And there's a consistent principle throughout the Bible that we give to what we love. Jesus would say, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is will be. A couple of weeks ago, my kids asked if I could take them to the new Krispy Kreme donuts. Uh, some of you have been there. Some of you have not been there. Now, uh, on any given morning, I'll be honest, it's not that I don't like donuts. It just wouldn't be my first choice for how to start my day. But I decided to bring them to the Krispy Kreme donuts. And it was interesting because uh, there was a line that went all the way out of the building and into the parking lot of people. And then there were cars lined up around the building all the way through the parking lot, snaking through the parking lot. And people were walking into that place and basically just, you know, throwing their wallets at Krispy Kreme. I did not hear a single person say, $9 for a dozen donuts? Maybe they thought it. They didn't say it. Why is that? People bought two, three, four, five dozen Krispy Kreme donuts and they were happy for the privilege of tossing cash at that counter because they love donuts, right? People love donuts, so they give their money. For you, maybe it is donuts, maybe it's not donuts. It might be something else altogether. It could be golf, it could be hunting, it could be clothes, it could be shoes, it could be vacations, it could be sports, it could be any number of things, Aggie season tickets, maybe I shouldn't say that in this room for fear of blasphemy, right? You give money, I promise, toward what you love. And so in the scripture, the primary reason we give is not because the church needs our money, 
but instead because it's a way that we honor and worship God to say, God has given me all that I have, and so it all belongs to him. Last fall, we, we went through the book of Philippians. So you might remember the book of Philippians was essentially a thank you note that Paul wrote to this church in Philippi because they had financially supported his ministry. And in Philippians chapter 4, he said this to them. He says, you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. Now look at this. He says it's a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Right? Paul says, yeah, I, I needed the money for my ministry. But more than that, what you gave was an offering to God. And so generosity with what we have honors God. It's a way of worshiping. Remember, worship simply means I say God is worth it. And so in the early church, the question that they continually asked was not how much can I accumulate, but how much can I give away in worship of God? So generosity honors God. Secondly, we see in the scripture that generosity brings us joy. This is a byproduct. It's not seen as the primary goal. But one of the great, seemingly paradoxical things about giving is that when we give away what we have, we find that it no longer controls us. Right? When I can release what I have, what I'm holding on to, all of a sudden it doesn't control us. Right? So I don't know how many of you have watched um, Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. Some of you have seen this show. Uh, I've watched a few episodes with my wife, with my kids. And uh, if you haven't seen the show, essentially what it is, is it's a, it's a show about people who have too much stuff. And this woman, Marie Kondo, she comes in and she helps them purge the stuff from their lives, right? So uh, she's coming from more of a, a Buddhist perspective. And so at the beginning of every episode, she will kind of sit down and like talk to the house or something and, and say, what does this house need? What is it feeling? And invariably the answer from the house comes back, I'm too full, right? I've got too much stuff. And so she goes to them and she says, I only want you to keep the stuff that will spark joy. Yeah. Okay. Does it spark joy? Does it not spark joy? Right. So they hold each item of clothing or each baseball card and they ask it, do you make me happy? Do you bring me joy? Right. And what you find is that most of it doesn't. And so they, they ship out piles of stuff, truckloads of stuff. And these people at the end, they seem happier than when they began. Now, whether or not you like her approach, I think that she's tapped into something that we struggle with, especially as Americans. And that is we begin to accumulate stuff and money because we think it's going to help us live a fuller life. And all of a sudden we turn around and we go, this stuff is controlling me. It owns me. And I don't know what to do. And one of the joys of giving away our things, and we see this biblically as well, is that it frees us. Dusty mentioned the big give this morning, that that's coming up at the end of the summer. For those of you who have participated in the big give or have not, it's, it's really an opportunity for us. We bring a lot of our 
old furniture, old items, and international students who are just getting settled in this country who need them. They come in droves and they gather that stuff. Now, what's interesting is we have people throughout the year who are begging us, where can I offload this stuff? Where can I give this stuff? Where can I share this stuff? I've never seen someone at the big giveaway with a frown who is grumpy saying, I can't believe I've got to give away my third toaster to somebody who needs it. It's an atmosphere of joy. This is why Jesus is quoted as saying this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That word blessed, that's the same word he used in the Beatitudes. It means favored and happy. When we give, we experience the joy of being freed from control by our stuff, by our money. And we also experience the joy of trusting in God. There is a reality of being able to dig deeply into the grace and the provision of God that happens when we open up our hands that I don't think can happen in almost any other discipline in the same way in the spiritual life. Because I trust God to provide. This is why Paul would say it this way. He says, now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. I want to be clear. Paul is not saying if you give $10, God is going to give you 100 and you're going to be richer and richer and richer the more you give. That's, that's not what he's getting at. What he is saying is that both now and in eternity, there are blessings from giving. That both now and in eternity, you can trust that God will provide as we open up our hands and we say, God, I'm going to trust you with what you've given to me, I can experience the joy of him providing. And so generosity brings this joy of being freed from the control of my money and stuff and trusting God in deeper ways. So generosity honors God. Generosity brings us joy. Thirdly, generosity spreads the gospel. Generosity shares the gospel. Again, going back to Philippians Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation or partnership or fellowship, that's the word koinonia, your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. He says, from the very first day as I've moved throughout the world sharing the gospel, you've given to my needs. And he says, I thank God for that because the gospel is going forth as you give. Jesus would say it this way in Luke chapter 16. He said, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails, they will receive you into the eternal dwellings. Well, how do you make friends for yourselves with your money? Well, that is you use your money to spread the gospel so that people hear about Jesus, trust in Jesus and spend eternity with him. You may remember that we talked about a quote last year uh, by the author Randy Alcorn, and he said very simply, you cannot take it with you, but you can do what? You can send it ahead. When I invest my money and resources 
in the work of the gospel through the church, in the work of the gospel through missionaries around the world. I'm investing in eternity. I'm making a deposit in eternity. All right, it is difficult for many of us to think in terms of eternity because it seems a long ways away. Right, and so, so one of the things that we, we try to do is we try periodically to, to tell stories of how even now, as we give to the work of Jesus Christ, we're seeing people come to hear the gospel. Almost every week, I hear stories from some of you about friends who come into the room into this church who either don't know Jesus or are struggling with their walk with Jesus. And because of the ministry of Grace Bible Church, they're hearing the Word of God and having an opportunity to trust Him. Almost every week, I get a newsletter from one of our missionaries that our church supports from overseas, and they talk about another person who heard about Jesus Christ because of what they're doing. In fact, literally two days ago, three days ago, I got a letter from one of our missionaries in Asia who saw somebody trust Christ through their ministry. Right, and that, and that's, that's, that happens all the time. I can't tell you how many times in a month I get letters like that from missionaries that Grace Bible Church supports. You may or may not know that, that roughly 20% of our personnel budget at Grace goes overseas, goes to missionaries who are serving Jesus around the world. So the Scripture says this is an investment in eternity. There are direct results as people come to trust Jesus. Also, what you see in the New Testament is there are, there are indirect results as well. When we give toward one another, when we give toward other churches even in, in our area or other ministries in our area who are struggling financially. At, at Grace Bible Church, we have what's called a people in need fund where we give toward those who are uh, facing financial hardship. And one of the indirect results of doing that, and we saw this in the early church, is that as we give toward those needs, people say, I want to know a God who is generous like the people of Grace Bible Church. All right, my, my friend Blake Jennings, who's our teaching pastor over at our Southwood campus, some of you know, he started a ministry uh, last year where, where they endeavor to provide vehicles uh, to especially uh, single moms, but, but even to others who are struggling, who cannot afford vehicles, but need to go to work, need to support their families. I can't tell you the impact that that has had as our community has heard about the generosity of God as it operates through His ministry on-ramp and ultimately through Grace Bible Church. And one of the things that's made me deeply proud of our church is, is how many of the vehicles have been directly donated through families at Grace Bible Church. And so when we, when we open up our, our hands and we say, God, you own everything, then that allows the gospel to move forward. We're investing in eternity. So I will tell you um, th that two or three months ago, I uh, got a new vehicle, a different vehicle that I've enjoyed driving. But if, you, if you've ever driven a new shiny vehicle, you know that for a while you have the illusion that you can keep it scratch-free and clean. Right, so you drive to the grocery store, and you're, you, you, for the first time in your life, you don't mind walking 3,000 yards to get into the store, right? You park way away from the other cars, right? Because why? Well, you've put your money into this thing, right? Your kids get into it, and every time they get out, 
you detox it, right? You take everything out, you vacuum it back up, you make sure it looks spotless. Now, what happens eventually though? And I know this, that's an illusion that I can keep it perfect forever. Somebody's going to dent it. Somebody's going to scratch it, right? In fact, a couple weeks after I got it, I looked on the front fender and I saw a little scratch, right? And a single tear began to roll down my cheek, right? Just this little, you know, it's going to happen, right? But we convince ourselves that we, can, that we can somehow store this stash of stuff that will make us happy, that will give us lives of freedom and peace, but it's all going to fade away. It's going to fall apart. And eventually that new car is going to be an old car. That new house will be an old house. Eventually one day we all go to the grave and that stash of money goes to somebody else. But what the scripture says is I can take what I have and I can invest it in eternity to produce results that will never fade away as men and women hear about Jesus Christ. And so when we are generous, it's an investment in eternity. Fourthly, generosity brings eternal reward. Generosity brings us reward. One of the fascinating things about the way Jesus talked about money and the way the writers of the New Testament talked about money is they didn't say, look, your desire to be rich is is wrong. They never said that. Instead, they said, I want you to take that desire to be rich and simply transfer it to eternity. That when you are Uh, investing in eternity now, you are essentially making a down payment on rewards that God will give to those who are faithful in the future. Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but do what? Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In other words, he doesn't say don't store treasures. He just says don't store them in the wrong spot. Store them up in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. When we entrust our treasures to God, God says nobody can break in and steal. Nobody can cause them to rust or decay because I'll use them for stuff that lasts forever. First Timothy, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Now, you may read that and you think, I'm not, I'm not really rich in this present world. I looked this up just yesterday, in fact, the median household income around the world. You may not know what this is. Median household income is just under $10,000 per household around the world. The biblical definition of rich is I have more than I need to meet my basic needs. If that's you, if that's me, I'm guessing that virtually describes everyone in the room. The Bible says you're rich. You have more than you need. And so Paul would say in Timothy, don't store up treasures for yourself here. In other words, don't fix your hope on wealth here, but store up treasure for the future. Because because the day is coming, and, and Jesus talked about this too, where all of us will give an account for how we invested and stewarded the resources that God gave us. 
And I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. You took what you had as well as you could, whether it was a little, whether it was a lot, and you invested it in eternity. So enter into your reward. And so the scripture says, I want you to take the long view. That's, that's really hard to do. Think, think for just a minute, if you can, try to remember your junior high self, if that's not too painful for you. Try to go back and remember your junior high self. If you could go back and you could tell your junior high self some things, what would you tell them? You might say things like this, don't invest all your time trying to get everybody to like you, right? That's, that's a losing battle and a waste of time. Instead, invest your time and your energy on developing character, a character of kindness and truth and integrity that will serve you well for the rest of your life. You might say things like your work ethic matters more than your raw intelligence. You might say things like in the long run, you're going to want to eat more vegetables and maybe a little less pizza, right? Now, all of those are long-term things, right? All of those are saying, what I want you to do is I want you to not just think about how your actions affect you today, but down the road. I'm trying to tell you what matters down the road. So I say that to say, I believe one day we're going to be at the end of our race and we're going to be entering into the presence of Jesus. And we might look back and we say, man, if I could go back and I could tell my 25, 35, 45, 55, 65-year-old self one thing. I'd say invest in eternity. Think about the future and not just today. And so again, as we look at the scripture, we see generosity honors God, generosity brings joy, spreads the gospel, and then generosity brings reward. And so so the question for us this morning is this one. As you think about where you are and all that God has given, is God calling you to take the next step in generosity as you seek to participate in the mission of the church? That is, is God calling you to whatever the next step is to say, I want to be a part of seeing the gospel go forth from Grace Bible Church, yes, but also through missionaries that you may know or that we support around the world and also in this community as you support the endeavors of the people of God to share the good news that Jesus died and rose again? Is God calling you to take that next step to say, I want to take what I have and invest in eternity for the sake of the good news of Jesus Christ? That's what we're going to spend some time thinking about this morning. And here's what we're going to do as we close. We are, we are going to be taking communion this morning. We're going to do it a little bit differently from the way that we normally do communion. Uh, we're still going to have the, you know, the juice and the cracker, so don't worry about that. But uh, just a little differently in the sense that instead of the deacons and the men coming to your seat, uh, you're going to go to them. And here's why. Uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, I recognize that some of you in the room, you may say, I, I want to go ahead and turn in a card this morning. Either you weren't here last year or you were and you want to adjust your amount or you just want to reaffirm that commitment, which is great. By the way, I encourage you to do that just to, to take that moment. And, and just again, if you want to write down that amount again, nobody else is going to see it. But just as a reaffirmation in your heart and mind, take that card uh, underneath these boards. There's two at the back, um, two at the front and one at the back. There's a little clear bucket. Just drop it in that bucket. Uh, and, and then what you can do is you remember last year 
We also wrote names on these boards. What we did is we wrote the name of a uh, person that we wanted to pray for. And we also wrote the name of a place that we wanted to pray for that the gospel would reach. Some of your names are on these boards. To be very honest, there were a lot of boards at all the different campuses. And so these may not be the exact ones that were in this room last year. So if you walk up and you don't see your particular name on it, we didn't erase it. Uh, It's just that things have moved around. There are also additional names. But here's what you can do. Remember the people you wrote down last year. If you see others on the board you'd like to pray for, that's great. And then there are markers. I would encourage you, write down a name, write down a place, and you say, with whatever I give and wherever the church is headed, I want this person and this place to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there is space on there. I know they look full. There is room between those names. So take a moment and do that. And then thirdly, uh, the men will be standing around the room. So just grab those communion elements and head back to your seat. And then once everybody uh, is back in their seats and ready to go, uh, we will partake of communion together before we end the morning and, and also close in song. So take a few moments if you want to pray about the card and think about that, that's great. And when you're ready, just file past and you can grab the elements. So we celebrate communion this morning. As always, we reflect on the ultimate act of generosity from God that he gave his only son who died for our sins and rose again so that we can have eternal life simply by trusting in him. So that's what we remember. That's what we celebrate and rejoice over this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul wrote, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we praise you this morning. Because in Jesus Christ, you have given us life. You've given us eternal life. It's a gift, Father, that we could never even begin or hope to repay. And we praise you because you don't don't ask us to repay. But instead, you, you tell us, I've freely given you life. And so we recognize this morning that, that our lives belong to you. Our, our, our bodies, our minds, our hands and our feet, our abilities, our reputations, our money and our things. Father, we praise you because as we sang earlier, You've been faithful to us and good all of our lives. You've given us so much more than we need or deserve in Jesus Christ. Even if you never gave us another thing, it would be infinitely more than we deserve. And yet in your grace and mercy, you've given us so much more. So we pray that we would be faithful to follow you and to worship you with all that we have. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.